Welcome to Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon and Chief Clinical Officer for Work To Be Well. Today's podcast brings awareness to a a terrible but more common issue than most of us realize, domestic violence. Joining me for this discussion on prevention and resources are members of Work To Be Well's National Student Advisory Council. Before we begin, I want to help people understand that this is a rough topic to talk about. And if you need to take a break during this podcast and come back to it later, that's okay. You got to practice your own self-care. And if issues come up for you, we're going to talk about different resources that are available. And I would encourage you to look at our website, play through the podcast, and learn about those resources if this is something that is familiar for you that you want to get help for. As a reminder, also, the information that we're going to talk about during this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor it is implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Let's get started by having each of you introduce yourselves, where you're from, and why are we talking about this topic today? Who wants to kick us off? I could. Um, hi, I'm Sophia. I'm in Maryland right now, and I wanted to do this podcast episode because I just think it's such an important topic, and people just don't talk about it much. It's really like people keep it under the covers, they keep it to themselves, but it's so common, and it would just help so many people if we just talked about it. Uh, I can go next. Um, My name is Germany Herrera, and I'm from Dallas, Texas. And I think I wanted to do this podcast or this episode of the podcast because it's important to have like a student perspective on this and not just as um, adults that experience domestic violence, but also students that have seen and experienced it themselves. My name is Jada Ward and I'm from Colorado. The reason why I'm participating in this podcast is to bring awareness and empowerment to the voices that may be drowned out. Um, within situations like these and just to highlight the importance it is to know that you're not alone in these times of trouble. Well, and I think it's really important, um, and I don't remember which of you mentioned this, that this is not just an adult issue. This is an issue that young people go through. This is an issue uh, domestic violence can start not only within the home, but within relationships when you're still in junior high school and high school. And it is unfortunately very, very common and very, very common, not only for verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all of those different types of assaults that can be part of domestic violence. So I think it's really important that we're talking about this today. And I'm wondering from your perspectives, um, what are some of the warning signs that you see that you've heard about that somebody who's in a domestically violent relationship may exhibit? Um, Just talking about it when um, delegating towards the youth, um, perhaps in school, the student is what may seem like acting out, but in terms of their home life, it's just all they've really known or um, how they are prone to respond to some situations. And so um, I'd say an increase in aggression um, is a sign of domestic violence. 
What is my other sign? I think um, kind of going off of what Jada was saying is, especially when the topic is brought up, if a person gets really defensive about it, either really defensive or are really hesitant to speak on it, it could be a telltale sign that they are experiencing domestic violence. Um, I also feel like when people like isolate themselves, like they tell their friends, sorry, I'm busy, I can't, or sorry, this person's going to get mad. I can't do this because, oh, I just don't feel comfortable with it. Like, they're like, they, it's not them not feeling comfortable, but it's someone else not feeling comfortable with them doing it. And also being, like, controlled in, like, whatever like, relationship they're in, whether it be their parents or their own relationships. Like, it can be anybody, and they just feel controlled that they can't do it. And I feel like I see it on a daily basis people saying, oh, no, someone's going to get mad. And it just controls or everything and every move they do. Yeah, control is such an excellent word. Uh, domestic violence often is about power and control, and that and that sense of of I'm going to control every every aspect of your world. And abusers in domestically violent relationships um, really practice that art of power and control. Do they have other warning signs? Things that you might see. Maybe, maybe relationships you've been aware of that you've seen that go, yeah, that person's that way. They're an abuser. I feel like I've seen a lot of people, they get into relationships and then they just change. Like either like they become, they act out or they become more depressed. They isolate themselves more. They just become less happy or they have less energy. They're less of the, per- they're less of the person they used to be. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's one of the things. And also, like, they, like, don't care about much about things they used to before. Or they just don't, they're like, oh, I have this person, so I don't need anybody else. You know, it, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of, of different signs Um there's also the the signs that I've seen where people withdraw from their normal activities. Um, they don't come with you and, and like go to the mall and go to parties and go to other places because their entire lives are wrapped up in this one individual. And I've seen sometimes people who, who have that almost flinching terror, you know, that, that flinching catch of terror. I'm wondering if that's something that just I've seen? Is that something you all have seen? What are some other signs you've seen? Um, I would say just borderline depression or anxiety from the victims. Um, With all of that they have gone through in past and present, um, it's no wonder, it's like, I'm trying to say, is that it's almost evident that there would be symptoms of um, those two things. So it's important to that um, they know that their mental health is accounted for and such. And so, yeah. What are some red flags when you, when you start to see somebody who's in an unhealthy relationship? I have, uh, I have two college age uh, students and my uh, college age students both have a friend who uh, is definitely in a very unhealthy relationship and they're struggling with how do they confront that? They've both been pretty upfront and said, you're in a really unhealthy 
what we call toxic relationship with this person. What are some of those red flags of a toxic relationship that that you've seen that you look for that maybe other people could begin to look for? I know for me, one of the biggest, biggest concerns in a toxic relationship is when alcohol and drugs get involved and that begins to dictate behavior and bad things happen when people drink. Um, what are some other red flags that you're seeing? I think um, a definite red flag is kind of seeing or looking more into how com- like difficult conversations escalate. If mm-hmm. like a, dis- a difficult conversation is brought up and if the person or like the individual that you're interacting with escalates it and there's yelling, there's hitting, there's throwing, I think that's definitely something that you have to look for. And it could be even subtle things if um, something you bring up, how something's making you feel and it's immediately turned back on you or just the way that they kind of perceive your concerns is definitely like a telltale sign of what's, if you're in a toxic or in in a healthy relationship. Uh, So I also think like another like, red flag is just all their decisions are just based upon that person and what they might think or feel like or they're they're always like I can't do this because of the person and I've seen it happen so many times and I'm just like you can do whatever you want like you are in charge of your own self and no one can tell you that if someone's not happy of the way that the thing that makes you happy then maybe you just shouldn't be with them yeah, going off um, what Sophia was just saying, um, just when it's evident that there's an unevenness um, within the relationship between who gets a say and what, um, if someone is, um, no matter what scenario, family member, um, romantic relationship, just if somebody um, has like the higher say in situations and if you tend to like follow that, that is a red flag. And um, along the lines of domestic violence, says it's not just um, physical violence, it's also emotional manipulative type of violence as well. You know, sometimes people use the term gaslighting to describe a certain type of behavior that happens, especially in toxic relationships that may be domestically violent, but may not be. When I say gaslighting, what does is, what is gaslighting mean to you? I, I believe like gaslighting to me is flipping the script of like, oh, no, like what you believe is not what actually happened. Um, just kind of like flipping the logic behind a situation that happened and almost like guilt tripping or like blaming the victim of the gaslighting. I think for me, um, gaslighting, gaslighting for me kind of goes hand in hand just with manipulation of like switching, like Jada was saying, switching a, a situation for it to benefit you or for you to come out with like a cause that, that benefits you. I think it, it happens a lot in relationships and in the moment you don't realize it, but after like looking back into it or if someone brings it to your attention, I think you're able to see it more. Yeah, like also like making things, making things that aren't there there 
or making things that are there, making not there. Like, for example, if you saw your partner with somebody else and or they were talking so- something about you or they were just putting you down and you confront them about it, they're like, that never happened. You're crazy, this and that. And they're just making you feel like you're the one that's crazy for saying something instead of them like being in the wrong or just confronting themselves about what they did. You know, it's, it's interesting because people, and I've seen this before and I'm watching this right now with, with uh, one of my kids' friends that um, they stay, they stay in relationships with their abuser and they stay in these relationships that are physically, verbally, and emotionally abusive. Why do you think people stay and are afraid to leave a domestically violent situation? Um, I think a lot of, for a lot of relationships or situations that are like that, I think people hold on to either like false hope that it would get better or the possibility that it's like, quote unquote, not that bad. Like, oh, there's yelling, but there's no hitting. There's smacking, but there's no punching. There's, or it's, it's physical, but it's not, it doesn't leave like physical marks on you. And I think a lot of people hold on to that possibility that, oh, it, it could get better. Like it happened one time, but it won't happen again. And it's not, and from, from an outside perspective, it's easy to be like, oh, well, you can just leave, like, just leave. It's not good, just leave. But in that situation, it's hard to kind of overcome that hurdle of, oh, it could get better. Thinking um, just of like the mental strain that are that is put on these victims of, Um, just being belittled and losing all sorts of confidence at times of being feared or being told even that nobody else will ever like love them or that they're not worthy of being loved, which is completely untrue. But just thinking that they can stay in this situation because it's all that they could possibly get, which isn't true a lot of the times that everyone deserves better than any sort of bad situation. You know, the, the, the thought that somebody would say, I'm the only person who's ever going to love you. And if you leave me, you're not worthy of being loved by anybody else. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I feel like in the past, I've been in kind of like some relationships like that. And I just remember there was one relationship I had like a few years back and I was like, oh, it's going to be cool, a new friend, this and that. But then when we got close after something happened, I feel like they started getting me like away from everyone I knew, like all my friends. And they started turning me against them. And even like people that were in that friendship that's been friends with them, they were like, Sophia, you need to like stop with them. Like, don't talk to them again because you know how bad they are. And I was like, well, they don't treat me bad, so why should I leave? And I remember they would make me cry all the time, and they just made me feel like at my lowest point in life. But sometimes they made me the happiest person alive, but sometimes they made me want, like, so upset. So I genuinely think that sometimes people are just think that, oh, they're not bad all the time, so maybe I can fix them, or it changes, I can change them, or that I'm better, and it's just so, 
it's just so lonely that then you realize you don't have anybody. You don't have any friends anymore. You don't have a support system anymore. You can't go to anybody because you isolated around them. You, you alienated yourself from everyone but them. So you don't have anyone to go anymore. You know, you, you bring up a really good point about when people think about domestic violence, they often think about relationships that start out at least as romantic relationships. But not all domestic violence relationships are between people who are involved romantically. There are people who are in domestically violent relationships with people who were their friends, who like carve them out and isolate them from their entire support system. And it's like, I am the one who is important in here. Uh, I think that's pretty common for young people, unfortunately. Is that is that what, do you see more romantic type relationships or more of those types of really, really super toxic friendships? I feel like it's mostly friendships, but like also relationships as we get older. But I feel like when we were younger, like relationships, they were just like, oh, I'm going to buy you some flowers and we're going to have lunch together. That's it. But I also feel like it's equally as common in high school than it is in middle school. But I definitely feel like toxic friendships were definitely like a big thing in middle school because I can have a bunch of my friends tell you about really toxic people. I remember one of my friends had to move to a different country because of somebody that she got so bad that she moved to her home country in Europe. And then she came back when she left. So it just gets so bad. I think, um, like Sophia was saying, it's definitely really prevalent in, in friendships. But I think in relationships, it's also, especially like in high school, once relationships start getting more like developed, I think it's also really seen in, in relationships and how um, a lot of those people that don't want to leave their or, or feel like they can't leave their, their abusive situation feel like they have no support system. So if if the person isolates themselves completely because of their partner, because of their of, because of a specific friend, it it makes more sense of why they wouldn't leave if they feel like they have no other support but that one person. No, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. You know, when we think about domestic violence survivors, especially, um, there's a lot of stigma around that. How do you come back after you've invested yourself so fully in a relationship, what are things that we can do to help domestic violence survivors be able to reintegrate into a friend group? I'd say just give back what they may have lost for such a long or short, even a short time period of being that person who boosts their confidence, um, just taking into consideration their personal experiences with everything you do to build and create a bond with them. No, that's really helpful. I think definitely like um, allowing them to realize that their situation, they're not defined by their situation. Um, that you're able to come back from that and that and being in a in a violent situation like that doesn't define who you are, doesn't make you weak. I think that's definitely something that a lot of um, survivors of domestic violence face is feeling like they're weak and they're a product of their situation, but that's not true. Well, or, or that they also feel that it's their fault. If I had done X, Y, Z differently, if I had done, you know, if I had left sooner, if I had done this, if I wasn't, you know, such a fill in the blank, 
then maybe this wouldn't have happened to me. And maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, they take the blame onto themselves as opposed to firmly placing the blame where it belongs, which is on the abuser. That's a really great point. I feel like just being open and just there for them, like, even if, if it's just to grab a coffee, it's just such a big thing. Like, I remember when I was recovering from that relationship, like, the week after, like, we, like, stopped talking, I remember I t- reached out to all my friends that said that they weren't good for me, and they were like, I'm so sorry I didn't do more to, like, help you, and I tried to tell you, but, like, they just, like, let me down gently, like, they were there, but they were also there to give me advice, and I just remember I hung out with my friends, and they were like, Sophia, you just look so much more happier and brighter, and we love that for you, and I was just like, that just love just made me feel so much better when I was in time where I felt like I had nothing, you know? So just like, even if it's just going out on a picnic or taking a walk after school, it's just something so big that you don't know it can mean to somebody. No, that's a really good point. And, and it brings up the idea of, okay, so you see somebody who's in a domestically violent relationship. What do you do? How do you intervene without putting yourself in harm's way? I think definitely from an outside perspective, like Sophia was saying, how don't throw it in their face that they're in a violent situation and they're not doing anything about it. I think that's something that come across like that comes across a lot when you leave those situations and you go back to those people that were telling you from the beginning that it wasn't a good situation. If they throw it in your face, it eliminates mm-hmm. like any kind of possibility you have to like recover um, without like any setbacks. And I think kind of allowing them and and telling the person that they are supported, that you're there for them, regardless of the situation that they were just, um, if they were just in, it, it would help a lot. Yeah, I love the idea of, you know, don't say I told you so. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching, uh, you know, again, thinking and reflecting on the situation that my own uh, college age kids are in right now. And they're, they're looking at how they can help a friend realize this relationship is no longer good. So just being there to be the safe place that goes to breakfast, buys you a cup of coffee and says, look, it's okay. Um, I didn't see it either. And we're going to move forward together. Um, something we practice in our students organized against racism group is mindful listening and mindful inquiry. Uh, along with that goes um, speak once and listen three times. You don't always need to put in your opinion in these situations. Sometimes um, what someone really needs is to just be heard. And it's important to be that outlet when they're faced with the consistent um, being shut down in these situations. Oh, Jada, that's such good advice. And, and you bring up another issue that I want to ask you all about. Does culture play a role in domestic violence? What is the role of culture? Are some cultures, uh, I don't want to use the word accepting, but respond differently to acts of domestic violence than others? And how do we deal with that? Uh, we were actually just talking about this in our in my Spanish class. Um, it's uh, culture and language. So we were talking about how in Hispanic communities, it's a lot more... Um, that a woman is taught to accept it, is taught to be quiet, is taught to just kind of go through it because divorce and, and separation 
in those relationships isn't necessarily accepted culturally. Um, and it definitely does play a big part in how in certain cultures you aren't as encouraged to speak your voice, to um, like speak your thoughts, your opinions, and really just say how you feel. So I think culture definitely does play a big part in how you overcome situations like that. That's really helpful. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, because I think, I think culture, family history also plays a role in here, but culture and racism plays a big role in our response to domestic violence. I also Sometimes, oh, sorry, Sophia, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I also feel like if your parents, like how you were raised and the people you're raised around, it also defines how would you react in a relationship? Like, for example, if your parents were similar to that, like, a toxic or abusive relationship that you're in, you're more likely to either stay away and run, like, the other direction or just stay in general. Right. And I feel like that people who grew up in those environments, they feel more conditioned to stay because that's all they know and that's all they've seen. So they think that they deserve it as well. That's such a good point. It's such a really, really good point that this can, we can normalize domestic violence and have that be how our response is. And that's a hard thing to culturally and, and from, a, from a family standpoint, grow out of. It's all part of that stigma. So as we begin to get to, you know, looking at, at, at resources that are available for victims, what are, what would you say to somebody right now that you know is in a domestically violent situation? What advice would you have for someone who wants to intervene? I guess I would just tell them to stay clear of any stigma or negative thoughts that enter their heads and just focus on giving that person a loving, caring intervention from a friend or a loved one and just letting them know it's not about them and it's not their fault and just telling them that you're, you worry for them and you worry for their safety in that relationship. And also just remind them that they're loved and you they have people that care about them. Um, like Sophia was saying, also just like um like making sure that they know that they're supported in those situations. Um, again, not their fault that they are they are supported, but also just looking at different media outlets to or like listening to other people's stories and how they got out of it. I think that would give like people definitely a lot of, um, not necessarily motivation, but feel like they could do it too. Seeing a success story, seeing somebody that left uh, a situation that was violent and then how they prospered out of it um, or, and after it, I think that's definitely something that would help a person going through that. Um, I would say also um, being an inspiration for self-love it is hard um, when other people try break you down and you feel as though you aren't gaining confidence from other people, but that's the time when you can gain confidence from yourself by 
um, really being your own best friend and taking care of yourself in the situations. No, do want to like bring attention that it is hard at times, but if a friend is guiding you along the way, um, like we've been saying, just having that, knowing that you have support can really make a difference. And that's really, really true. I mean, there's a lot of great resources out there that are available, but the best resources often are the kind, listening, loving ears of a good friend. Um, I do know that we're going to put links to the National Domestic Violence Hotline uh, in this podcast and have those resources available on our website as well. There's also often a lot of great localized resources. Many communities have shelters and other types of resources. But for youth who are in school, you can always go talk to your school counselor, a trusted teacher, a principal, vice principal, coach, anybody. Schools are places where those trusted adults are there to help intervene and find the trusted adult that works for you. I want to thank you, Sophia, Germany, and Jada for being so honest and sharing so much of your own personal experiences and joining me on Talk To Be Well today for a very difficult but important discussion about domestic violence. If you're aware of a domestic violence situation or are in one yourself, we highly recommend contacting the National Domestic Violence Hotline by texting START, that's S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. That's texting START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. And there are professionals there 24 hours a day, seven days a week who can help. And if you're looking for support with your mental health, Check us out at worktobewell.org. That's work the number two, bewell.org. We have a lot of great resources. We have a lot of great curriculum. And we talk about a lot of difficult things and make it easy because we talk about it. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. This has been Talk to Be Well. I want to thank you for joining us today and be well. <laughs>